1: Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. I hope you're all doing well. I'm in Connecticut, and I am looking forward to warmer weather and visiting colleges safely and outside. Um, I think today is going to be a really fun show. My last two segments are both about military veterans in the admission and financial aid process. Um, For segment two, specifically, I'll be talking with Christine Sawicki of College Coach, formerly of Stanford, about how highly selective colleges view veterans, Um, And then Lori Peltier, a college coach finance expert, will follow up with information about financial benefits for veterans and students who are currently in the military and their family. But first, as you can see, if you're actually checking out the video, um, I have the great fortune of speaking with Falone Serna, Vice President of Enrollment at Whittier College, about their new Racial Justice and Equity Action Plan and why this matters both to underrepresented students of color, but also to majority students. Um, And I just want to Put in the comment that I worked at Whittier many years ago, and I think really, really highly of it. So it's really exciting for me to have on um, a Whittier guy.
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> so welcome, Falone. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad to be on the show. Looking forward to our conversation.
1: Okay, and uh, if you're watching the video, you'll see beautiful Whittier in the background of uh, Falone's shot. So, um, so let's start for our our visitor, or sorry, for our listeners. Just tell them what Whittier is. Not everybody has necessarily heard of Whittier if they're not in California.
2: Sure. Well, Whittier is a four-year liberal arts college located in Whittier, California, which is in Los Angeles County. We like to say that we're in a kind of a cool spot because we're equal distance from downtown Los Angeles and downtown Disney. So we kind of like (laughs) straddle that LA County, Orange County line, but we're, we're technically Los Angeles County. Um, Where we have an intimate population, uh, we have about 1700 students undergraduate. Um, there is a small graduate program that exists for a masters of Education, but the um, center of the campus is around the undergraduate population. and we're one of those institutions that just provides that really uh, just awesome intimate academic setting, lots of hands on learning opportunities, dynamic faculty, and a real opportunity for students to engage with their peers. And, and, and the faculty in a way that they may not be able to do in a larger setting, uh, very active community. We're Division Three athletics. We have all the, the clubs and organizations, kind of our own twist on fraternities and sororities known as um, societies, which is a neat feature. Uh, we have one of the more bizarre mascots. We're home of the poets. Uh, Johnny Poet is our mascot. And uh, the last thing that I will say about Whittier, As I mentioned, we're in Los Angeles County, and I'm proud to say that we are an institution whose population, uh, student population, staff, and faculty I throw in there, we actually reflect the diversity that you would expect to find in the city of Los Angeles. We we are a Hispanic-serving institution with over 30% of our um, students being uh, Hispanic Latinx But, um, you know, we we have students, you know, all different ethnicities. Uh, We also have a pretty broad spectrum economically, socioeconomically as well. Uh, A good representation of students from out of state, a decent representation of international. So when we say diversity, a lot of places like to tout their diversity, but Whittier is a place that's actually walking the walk. And um, if you ever get a chance, as you mentioned, when we're able to safely have these visits uh, to to visit, that's one of the things that many people notice right away, they come on our campus, and they say, wow, this is a place that says they're diverse, and I can actually see it walking around campus. So, we're Mm -hmm. really proud of that as well.
1: Yeah, I loved that when I was there. Um, I mean, Whittier, just partially because of the location, um, and um, it is just a great place, didn't Mm -hmm. have, when I worked there, it was 97 to 99, and um, we already had quite a diverse population, but there wasn't a lot of, like, effort around it. Um, is one of the things that I noticed. I mean, there were certainly individuals working as hard as they could, but there wasn't sort of an institution-wide like effort. And now you have this initiative. And so I'm really interested in um, learning, and I know that our listeners are too, what this initiative is and how it's going to impact students. So maybe start with just what it is, and then we can talk about well, I don't know, maybe you'll frame it both together, like how it'll impact students, both students of color who are underrepresented mm-hmm. in higher education and also students who are in the majority.
2: well, i'd I'd have to give credit to our president, um, Dr. Linda Ubrey, who has been with the college for a little bit over two years, and uh, she's one of the reasons why I decided to join the the team at Whittier. And one of the reasons why she came on board, she's a Black woman, um, lots of experience in higher ed as well as the business world, very dynamic leader. And she would probably agree with your assessment that while Whittier has been a place that's, um, you know, become diverse as a result of being in the location that we are, it's, it's a place where I should say she felt that the institution needed to lean into that a little bit more, and so this is really just part of the institution's uh, ongoing effort to really lean in to our diversity and celebrate it. You know, it's mm-hmm. something that I've been at five different institutions, and 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 I can tell you how however people feel about the importance or the relevance of diversity. Uh, Every college campus, every institution that I've been on, they want to diversify their their Mm -hmm. student body and their population. And Whittier is really there. We certainly Mm -hmm. have some things that we can continue to work on. And that's really where this initiative comes because it's not enough to just have a bunch of a a diverse population, just a bunch of different people on campus. Um, With diversity comes different needs and, Mm -hmm. and, and different things that students need Um, to ensure that they're going to be successful, to ensure that they feel like they belong on the campus and that they own the campus, not just belong. You know, we want Mm -hmm. our students to have ownership over, over their, their education and, you know over the campus community and so it's it's really making sure that we are serving our students to the the best of our our abilities and 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 really recognizing that with this diversity comes a need for us to you know take an assessment of what we do our culture our mm-hmm. business practices our traditions and just making sure that everyone is included in that. And, and it's a it's it's going to be an ongoing process. You know, we, we're, we're still at the beginning of it. And again, while we do have great diversity, not just with our student body, but amongst our staff, I'm proud to say um, on the president's cabinet, which includes vice presidents and, and in the upper administration, there's a number of us. I'm not the only Black man in, in that group. Um, our, our dean of students is a Black man. Um, our, our vice president for advancement is Black. And I'm actually uh, Black and Mexican, and he is as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got women on the on the cabinet. Additionally, I'll say that on the board of trustees, it's another thing that we're looking to diversify, uh, and we've done a great job of just having broader representation of women and, and people of color, you know, to, to make sure that we're representative. The leadership needs to also be representative of our student body, and so, so it's all kind of like a, a, a combination of all of that, and and um, you know, we're 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 looking forward to getting to work on this and and like I said, making sure that we're serving our students so that they're not only successful while they're at Whittier, but once they leave, you know, this this mm-hmm. is pouring into them so that when they're alumni and are out in the world, um they know how to um you know act accordingly.
1: Mm-hmm. Excellent. So what are what does this mean And I mean, so concretely we know that you've got excellent diversity. Uh, in the leadership, how is this directly, I mean, that's automatically a positive impact on students, but what are some of the initiatives? What are you thinking about doing that's, you know, how is that going to impact students in kind of a concrete way?
2: Yeah. So um, there's a lot of, um, I'll start by saying there's a, there's definitely an initiative towards um, student services. I'd probably say that's where, where one way I would start, um, I'm apologize. I'm looking for the um, as I'm trying to talk. I want to make sure I get the the, the name right. But we recently hired um, a new staff member, um, Dean of Diversity. Um, I'll grab her name in a moment. But um, you know, we're we're really looking to make sure that we actually have services on campus that will um you know make sure that you know once we do have students here that that we're we're appropriately um Serving them, so you know one of the initiatives. You know one of the things that we discovered um, while we do a great job with, you know, for example, we're one of the the strongest institutions in graduating uh, women in STEM and particularly Hispanic and Latinx women. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things that our our um, research found is that we need to do a better job in supporting uh, Black students and Black men in particular. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the initiatives that we have are are going towards that. Um, you know, again, uh, um you know, our, our dean of students and having a, a cultural resource center and, and staff that that are, are equipped to make sure that we're appropriately serving our Black men and our students. Um, we've we've strengthened our partnership with our Black alumni association, and they're getting a lot more involved in making sure we have more mentorship opportunities. And we were recently given a grant that'll provide financial resources for those students as well. So again, it's just looking towards initiatives in in those areas that will directly benefit students. Um, and you know, on top of what we already do uh, great at Whittier with our um, you know, the faculty and staff doing a good job of um, you know, ensuring that that we um are supporting our students just like we would any students. But as I mentioned, um, you know, students from different backgrounds and, and different perspectives have, have unique needs. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I, I tell students when they're when they're on campus, and they're considering an institution and how they may fit in. Um, even a place like Whittier that's diverse, you know, we, we are predominantly white institution in the sense that that's how, you know, we were established in a lot of the, the way the institution runs um, you know, from the curriculum to the traditions and culture, a lot of that is steeped in what a lot of people would would classify as white culture, right? And so, you know, there, there's, a, there's an adjustment there for many of our students, and we need to ensure that we have people on campus and individuals on campus who are going to be able to, um, you know, support that and and make sure our students are able to make those those transitions. So, um, so yeah, so sorry, you know, recently we, we promoted our first, uh, associate dean for diversity, equity, inclusion as long-term mm-hmm. staff member. So that's, that's one step forward. And, and as I mentioned, also, we, we hired a, a dean of, of diversity as well. And and like I said, fortunately I should have had my notes prepared. I apologize. I, I, I don't okay. want to misrepresent her name, but, um, you know, those are some of the concrete things we're doing. Um, In addition to, you know, I I will say, um, I know this is something we wanted to talk about, Whittier was recently... Uh, included in the Mackenzie Scott gift. Uh, mm-hmm. we were one of the, I believe she, she um, awarded like 40 institutions um, uh, a gift. And we were, we're actually one of two of only schools that did, were not classified as historically black college or university, tribal or two years. So, mm-hmm. and we were recognized because of the diversity um, that, that we have on campus. And, and so, um, a lot of those funds are going to be uh, dedicated towards some of those initiatives that that, that we're looking to do uh, towards this work that we're talking mm-hmm. about now.
1: And so for people who don't know, Mackenzie Scott is, she um, is the former wife of Jeff Bezos, right? And mm-hmm. so it's, this is basically Amazon money and she's been doing remarkable philanthropic work. Um, so this is a, and this is quite a big honor, I think really too, in terms of a recognition for Whittier and the work that, you're already doing and that you can do. Um, So we have a few minutes left and I was curious if you could address, why is this helpful? I firmly believe that it is helpful. Um, I think it's the right thing to do even if it wasn't, but I firmly believe that it is helpful for the majority students as well. And I was wondering if you could kind of address like why this is gonna be helpful for any student who attends Whittier, even if they are not an underrepresented student of color.
2: Sure. So um, there's so much research out there that, that talks about the benefits of um, students working in a collaborative setting like a college or university um, where it's important to have a variety of representation in the room. Um, and, and when you have a diverse group of individuals working towards a, a common goal or project, um, there's just so much research and evidence that shows the problem solving is just more efficient um and the solutions are just are just better. Um, you know, the, the there's a saying that I like to use is if you're you're only equipped with in your toolbox, if the only thing you're equipped with is a hammer, everything that you see is going to be a nail and your only mm-hmm. solution is going to be banging on those nails. Where well, if you um have different tools in your toolbox, you'll 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 have a lot more um you know different solutions. Uh, ways to problem solve at your disposal and a different way of viewing things. And so, you know, the writing's on the wall, the country's becoming more diverse um, in terms of ethnic breakdown. And we believe it's our responsibility to make sure that our students are prepared for uh, a different world. And and, and in California, the diversity is already here, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we want to make sure that our students are prepared to interact work and and collaborate with folks who do not look like them and 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 who come from different perspectives and backgrounds from them uh, whether it's ethnic wise whether it's socioeconomic even someone coming from a different state i mean all of these things really come into play so we believe it's our responsibility to ensure that our graduates are prepared for that
1: mhm good well and and i'll just throw in that i've done a lot of research on what hiring managers are looking for and one of the things that comes across is just global uh, literacy and cultural literacy. Like, in mm-hmm. other words, not being able to relate to people who are very different from you and being comfortable with that. So, right. um, you know, so this is really just you doing, helping the majority students achieve that, which I think right. is very important. So,
2: yeah, yeah, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. All right. Any any like last words? We have like one minute left. <laughs> I don't mean to put you on the spot, but um, you could even plug Whittier if you want to.
2: Yeah, well, no, like I said, um, you know, Whittier is a great place if any uh, family members or or students are still listening. Um, We understand with the challenges of COVID, it's been a really tough year in terms of getting things together in terms of application, exams, all of that. Uh, Our application is still open. We're still considering students for fall 21. Uh, We are planning to be open for fall 21. We're making plans for that. So we're real excited about that. Um, and I would just, you know, recommend folks go to, uh, you know, whittier.edu to learn more information about being a poet. We have so many different resources. We have our own podcast that gives students insight. Um, we, we're doing virtual visits, online tours, a number of ways to engage while we can't have you physically on campus. And hopefully, uh, we'll be able to, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to uh, catch you all soon on campus and for anyone who's interested.
1: Okay. All right. That sounds great. That's a great place to stop. Thanks so much.
2: Yep. I really
1: appreciate your time. Find out what's
0: happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now... Back to the show
1: welcome back, everyone, and welcome christine i 'm so excited to talk to you about veterans in the admission process at highly selective colleges and universities, and your experience at Stanford i mean it 's just the most selective university at this point I think i don 't know if Harvard has clawed its way back or something, but in any case it 's a tough place to get into. So it'll be a really interesting perspective in how Stanford viewed veterans. Um, so why don't you go ahead and kind of talk to me about, you know, I, I know that Brown recently had an initiative, um, and that's part of what brought this to mind for me, and I really wanted to have you on. So tell me, like, tell me about kind of what the motion or what the action is around veterans in the admission process going on in the world right now.
3: Yeah, um, thanks so much for having me, Sally. It's great to be here. Um, I think when you're thinking about highly selective admission, um, what is so important is what each individual student is going to contribute and bring to that class. And as um, you know, a group of people in admission office trying to pick amongst you know, the most talented and academically qualified students across the world, individual stories really help differentiate students across this very talented pool. And the veteran experience is an incredibly... Uh, powerful one that can bring a really original and unique voice to a class. And um, that was very much valued um, in the process um, that I was a part of, uh, but is also very much valued across institutions as a whole, leading to things like the Brown uh, commitment that uh, was announced last year. And uh, you find this really readily uh, pronounced on their individual websites, um, proudly stating the perspectives that veterans bring to a college campus. And so, um, yeah, and and it's an incredibly valued life experience. Mm -hmm.
1: Without a doubt. I mean, every, I I always want to make sure, I think because veterans, there's not a ton on college campuses. I think people assume that they're not wanted. And I I just like, whenever I hear that, I'm like, you're so wrong. Like, I mean, I worked at three different institutions and when we saw a veteran, we were like, This guy is a veteran, or this woman's a veteran, and they automatically got extra attention in the process. I mean, we obviously still had to fully evaluate their transcript and those other, you know, the really important core parts of admission, but. You know, for us, like being a veteran, especially if you had served overseas, but in the case of the schools where I was, even if you hadn't served overseas, if you just had that additional experience, you really shot to the top of the rankings in terms of sort of personal qualities. Um, You know, we had to, again, academics still are, for obvious reasons, very important, but the personal qualities, you got the highest rating, so...
3: Yeah. Um, very frequently, veterans were transfer applicants as opposed to freshmen, though occasionally they were freshman applicants. And the transfer application process, um, I think, really highlights how important the individual life experience is. Um, the kind of the purpose behind the educational objective of transfer applicants is so much richer and deeper than a Mm -hmm. typical freshman applicant. And, um, it allows for that experience of, um, having served to be really prominent in that process. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. So what, I mean, we mentioned the Brown, the huge commitment by Brown. What does that mean? Um, in sort of concrete terms, like, can you tell us about what's happening at Brown to around veterans?
3: Yeah, um, it's support for funding. Um, so the yellow, yellow ribbon program is uh, the kind of prominent funding uh, source supporting veterans um, at colleges and universities. And this uh, $20 million gift, half of it is going towards uh, supporting veterans' fees beyond the Yellow Pri- Ribbon Program, which supports tuition. So this mm-hmm. is inclusive of all costs for the Brown education. Um, so uh, $10 million a year, they're estimating that they're um, going to double um, the veteran uh, population um, as a result of, of this support. Mm-hmm
1: which will also help because then there'll be additional community and things like that. So, cause I imagine that that is part of the um, challenges for veterans. Although I have known some veterans who've gone to colleges and they, uh, you know, I think I knew a veteran at Reed and he was like, I knew there wasn't going to be anybody else like me here. Um, although there was another student who had served, who was still serving in the national guard and we'd see him walk around campus in his uniform. And and he really enjoyed the fact that people would come up and ask him about his service. Um, So actually, and, and, and I, I like to talk about this because I think that, like one of the real reasons I wanted to have you on the radio show is because I wanted to encourage veterans to apply to these highly selective schools, even if they didn't know anybody who had ever attended a Stanford or a Brown or a Chicago or a Reed, that doesn't mean they can't get in if that's the right institution for them. And so they should go for it if they've been a very strong student. And um, but the other thing that i like to highlight here is, is just how much institutions realize how much, having veterans on campus really benefits the other students. I mean, we're these sort of naive, you know, I I remember being the naive, naive 18 year old and seeing someone in a uniform and none of my friends had gone into the, well, one had gone into the military and really being curious and being able to talk to someone about it gave me a whole new perspective. So Yeah,
3: and along the lines of encouragement, there is a nonprofit organization called Service to Schools uh, that most of the highly selective institutions um are affiliated with um, and they support veterans in their actual application process uh, to universities. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once veterans are on campus, the support at highly selective institutions is fairly robust. Um, At Stanford, they have an office, a student services office dedicated to veterans and military affiliated families. And that's not uncommon amongst that group of schools. Um, And there are other kind of programming support um, let's see uh, university of pennsylvania has a trio veterans upward bound program and princeton is a host campus for the warrior scholarship project which is kind of a academic boot camp in advance of starting the universities so um, there are um, not only are they valued but that valued is being supported by action in terms of the support and community uh, found once you're there hmm.
1: And I would say um, one of the things I want to encourage students to do, too, is go on the website and not just you can not just see that these offices are available. But as a veteran, you could call, I imagine, and you, they would be happy to find people to talk to you if you're not getting those kinds of resources through the admission office.
3: Yeah, I know um, at Stanford, we had a dedicated admission officer uh, that oversaw um, veteran um, uh, conversations through the admission process. And so like there are, you know, dedicated admission officers for transfer students yeah. as a whole or homeschooled applicants or what have you. There usually is someone, a point contact person to to talk to. Mm-hmm. All right.
1: And I want to I go back and highlight something that you mentioned already before too, which is that most of your veterans were transfers. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them came from the community college, right?
3: Uh, yes, that was a a common path for 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 yeah mm-hmm.
1: okay, so that's another i just want, i want to emphasize that because I think another myth out there is that if you go to community college, you can't transfer to some place like Chicago or Stanford or whatever it might be, and that's a hundred percent not true. Correct. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So um, what I mean, I imagine they had to take extremely rigorous courses at the community college. But then again, as far as extracurriculars were concerned, they were ranked at the top level.
3: Definitely.
1: Okay. All right. Um, Would you say that at most schools, if a veteran called up and said, "I, I want to talk to someone that they would do their best to help them? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, um, there, I think um, if anyone is hesitant at all, and knowing where to start, that can actually be a great first step, because I think they would surely be greeted with incredible warmth um, uh, by the person on the other end.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. And then the other thing you mentioned, like, was the Yellow Ribbon Project? What are the other services that we can encourage them to go to again?
3: Um, The Yellow Ribbon Program is financial support uh, Mm -hmm. for veterans. Um, Service to schools is the organization that supports uh, veterans through the application process. Mm -hmm. And actually, they um, uh, welcome volunteers to be ambassadors to help support those students. So Mm -hmm. for any listeners who are interested in this population and want to get involved, um, you can check out their website for those Mm -hmm. opportunities um and then uh the warrior scholar project is the um academic boot camp that princeton hosts it was founded mm-hmm. by yale alumni uh, cornell participates in it as well
1: okay all right great now one of the other things i wanted to to bring up too is um, how veterans can talk about themselves in their applications. I mean, an obvious thing to me is definitely write about it in your essay. It's going to be an important piece of the application. Would you have encouraged that too at Stanford?
3: Yeah, I think, um, you know, in your college applications, you want to bring forward your proudest, your um, most significant life experiences that mm-hmm. help showcase uh personality traits that really come to the top. And um, for many veterans, (laughs) that experience is exactly that. And so that would be something to lean into um, as you're working on uh, application essays. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: I'll just say that again, in my experience, we really wanted to admit the veterans. And if a veteran wasn't admitted, it was just because we just didn't see the academic fit there. But it was never a situation where we viewed them with anything other than enthusiasm and and tried to really figure things out. And I remember once or twice when we, I mean, we admitted veterans, but I remember once or twice where we couldn't. And I really wanted to like call up that student and say, try this school. <laughs> I think this will be better for you, you know? Um, and it wasn't our role to, to suggest another college, but that was how I viewed them. It wasn't that, uh even when we denied a veteran, it was always you know feeling like this person's gonna go on and do some pretty great things, yeah Sally,
3: yeah. I think you might need to volunteer with uh service to schools <laughs> yeah there <you> go.
1: <laughs> well, my dad- I'm not a veteran, but my father was a veteran um so <laughs> yeah, so any other tips like anything else that um that you would want veterans to know um or people who you know talk to veterans advise veterans
3: yeah um, I think um, to see opportunity when they look uh, towards what comes next and uh, if um, you know education can help be a part of that next step for them. Mm-hmm that this is one, um, I think, as you said at the beginning, is going to just so warmly embrace them uh, uh, along the way in the application process and and beyond. So um, I guess um, optimism, I guess, is what I would (laughs) like to uh, part with.
1: Okay. All right. That sounds great. Um, Thanks so much, Christine. Thank you, Sally. (laughs) All right. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be right back to talk to Lori Peltier, college finance consultant, about financial benefits for veterans and military students and their families.
0: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Um, and Now we have Lori Peltier here, and she is going to talk about financial benefits for uh, for veterans and military students and their families. Welcome, Lori. Hi, Sally. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Um, all right, so let's just start with what kinds of financial benefits are available to veterans and their families. I think A lot of people know there's something, but I think there's probably some confusion about how to access them, who to talk to, you know, exactly how much.
4: There is a lot to it. There's a lot of different types of benefits and different ways to access it. So, um, on the smaller side, there are scholarships on the local level that children of veterans might qualify for through their VFW post, their auxiliary, the Legion, those you might find through your connections in your community or through your high school guidance office. Um, But definitely, uh, children of veterans have a a leg up on that, on those scholarships. And then there might be some on the national level. We always recommend here on the podcast to do a national scholarship search. So your connections within your family and their service to the country might um, generate a scholarship match there. The big money really comes from the tuition and fee waivers Mm -hmm. through the larger programs that you've probably heard about, like the Montgomery GI Bill, the post 9-11 GI Bill, or the Yellow Ribbon Program. Those are are the big ones that um, former active service members can get an education for free, basically. Um, And then there are schooling opportunities um, where you can go to college for free with a commitment to serve after you finish your college. So like the military academies, West Point, the Navy Academy, uh, ROTC scholarships would fall in that category. There are also stipends that could cover some of the expenses above and beyond tuition and fees. So, a housing stipend or a book stipend are current, um, are some of the benefits that come along with the tuition and fee waiver. So, you may be able to go totally free, you know, all of your expenses covered. And then, lastly, if you've borrowed loans for your education, but then go in the service or did it, um, at the same time, you can qualify for a deferment on paying your loans back while you're in the service. And you might qualify for public service loan forgiveness and get some of your loans forgiven um, because you're uh, serving the country uh,
1: mm-hmm.
4: in the service. So those, those are all the different categories that I could think of when we came to
1: this topic. Mm-hmm. And so how does one qualify? I mean, is it just signing up for the military? Do you have to serve a certain number of years? Um, You know, I wish there was an easy answer to this. It really
4: varies depending on the program, depending on your time you entered, you know, what years you started serving, how many years, uh, how many years you were on active duty, or if you're a Purple Heart recipient. Lots of different qualifying factors. I'm not going to pretend to know (laughs) of them. You know, I did some some digging around and I'm like, this is very complicated. Um, But basically it's when you served, how long you served. um, But keep in mind these benefits that the military member can qualify for can also pass on to their spouse or child. Mm -hmm. So the post 9-11 GI bill is the one we hear most about now. So any active duty members after September 11th, 2001 can qualify if they've on a certain amount of time, um, can qualify for these benefits. And it's a percentage. So if you meet the maximum, you can get 100% of your tuition and fees paid at an in-state public school.
1: Okay, I was uh, gonna ask where, like, <laughs> is that, yeah. can you get it all at a, a private school, but it just the in-state public? Okay, right. And they're great.
4: Right. And if the, the service member doesn't use it, they could give it to their spouse or to their child, you know, mm-hmm. whatever percentage they qualify for. And they could even split it between their children. Mm. So here at College Coach, we I have had some families who were like, OK, should I save it for my second child? Should I use it for my first? You know, it's kind of a complicated family decision mm. of, number one, how do I qualify? And then how do I use it? And mm. when do I use it? And who do I use it for? Things like that. Um, so, so that's... Um, you know, some of the qualifying factors, but definitely have to talk to your veterans administration to make sure that you qualify.
1: Okay. So there, that's kind of the place to start is the VA. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Um, Can you ever get help from financial aid offices at colleges? So the, um,
4: financial aid office at, at the college may be able to help you, but the most important place is the veterans officer in the registrar's office. Okay. Every registrar's office has a veterans officer who signs off on all your documents and says, yes, this person enrolled and, and gives the VA the documents that they need to qualify them for the money, including the stipends and the book vouchers and all of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And so these benefits can be used at any college. It might not all be paid for, as we just discussed, but or are there any limitations? It it didn't seem to me that there was. I mean, I've I've read stories about uh, veterans at for-profit colleges as well as not-for-profit. Like there doesn't seem to be limitations in that way.
4: Right. Um, You can get any degree, uh, trade or technical program, associates, bachelor's, master's, even a doctorate degree. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can go to any college, but the the post-9-11 GI Bill only pays for in-state public. There is now the Yellow Ribbon Program, which goes on top of that. So if you qualify for the maximum post-9-11 GI Bill and you go to a school that's a yellow ribbon program school, so not all colleges will participate, mm-hmm. but if you find one that does and you get selected, they do a first come, first serve selection. So you want to get your application in early, let them know that you're under this program. You could get that tuition and fees covered as well, even mm-hmm. at an out-of-state public or a private college mm-hmm. for like a master's degree. So it really depends on the school um, And you may have to shop around to find the school that's going to cover you the most.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I mean, our last segment was about veterans at highly selective schools and Brown university. One of the most selective colleges in the country is a yellow ribbon school. Mm -hmm. So don't assume that the school you're looking at is not going to be one. It's a pretty broad range of schools. Right. Um, So, all right. It sounds like there are a lot of qualifying factors to be eligible for these funds. So, You know, where should a veteran get started to check all this out?
4: As I mentioned earlier, it would be the VA office, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and I've had to call them when I was a veterans officer at a college. And and I know, (laughs) you know, the red tape that, you know, it's a large organization. So you may have to call several times. You might have to be on hold. You might have to dig through websites, but definitely it's worthwhile to, to understand it all and, and not miss out on the great benefit. And then, you know, check with the veterans officer at the college as well. They might be helpful to point you in the right direction.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it does seem like an enormously complex process. I mean, but if every school has one of these, I mean, I, I think a great place to start might be at a community college, for example, if you're starting by taking classes there, um, you know, mm-hmm. so, Like just go to the registrar's office there. Right, right. Mm -hmm. That, That would be a good idea. Okay. All right. I'm going to, this is a little bit off topic, but by the way, I am going to put a plug in for community colleges. If you're looking (laughs) at trades and things like that, we really do recommend the not-for-profit schools as much as possible um, at, at Bright Horizons College Coach. Um, Sometimes your for-profit schools are the only ones available. Sometimes they're working with a particular company in which case go for it. They can be helpful, but starting with the community college, you're usually going to pay less and you're going to be, Um, You're going to be in a program that is more likely to transfer to other institutions. So sorry to make you listen to that. but Whenever these come up, like I just always want to emphasize that. Um, And all right. So what about a current high school student who is not a dependent of a veteran? How can they receive funding from the military?
4: So, they can receive funding, but it usually comes hand in hand with a commitment to serve. Of course, you know, the, the government's not going to pay you to go to school and not get anything out of you in the long run. Mm-hmm. So, again, that's where the, the military academy is one. The military academy is totally free. Um, I believe the only thing you have to pay for is your uniforms, but you do have a commitment to serve five years of active duty when you graduate as an mm-hmm. officer. So um, it's a great education, but you have that five-year commitment. You can stay longer, but um, in order to get it for free, you have that commitment. Same thing with the ROTC scholarship. As you probably know, Sally, my daughter did the ROTC scholarship. She's in the process of serving um, her four-year active duty commitment. Um, so although they will pay for tuition and fees, and sometimes the school will kick in room and board, so it can be a very Mm -hmm. inexpensive degree, you do have that commitment at the end. If you don't um, come through with that commitment, you would have to pay the school back. You would Mm -hmm. have to pay back all that free schooling that you received over those four years. Um, what I think is a little more complicated is enlisting right out of the high school. Mm -hmm. Um, and and not going to college, but going into the military first. I honestly don't know a lot about that. But what I would recommend is definitely getting all your answers and getting them in writing, if possible, Mm -hmm. before you commit. Um, I have seen students who, um, out of high school, they commit, they go to boot camp, and they qualify for everything, and then they go to school, and they get some funding for their schooling, and then they go and serve. So there's a lot of different paths you can take and you can get a lot of education while you're in the service as well. You can learn Mm -hmm. a trade that then you can get a job with when you get out. Um, But just a couple of the different ways, you know, there that, that a student could do it. um, I do think it's something you don't take lightly, Mm
1: -hmm.
4: (laughs) Um, you know, especially as an 18 year old. And I think um, I've even seen where, High schools don't allow the military to come in and recruit at like a college fair, and, and they're not allowed to have a table there mm-hmm. because they feel that, you know, it's too much for an 17, 18-year-old to process on their own.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have I have talked to students who were talking about um, joining the military, but only for the scholarship money. And I always wanted to really, I always tried to get them to think carefully about what it meant to be in the military, mm-hmm. you know, and to have your life sort of dictated to that extent, Mm -hmm. the discipline Mm -hmm. that's required uh, and the regimentation. I think it's fair Mm -hmm. to say that, right? Um, So I was wondering, since your daughter went into it, like, would you say there's a particular kind of student that might be an especially good match for the military? Or what should they do to find out if this is valid for them or if it's just not going to be the right environment for them? I think um, she
4: was able to shadow an ROTC cadet while she was a senior in high school. Um, so she went to a college campus, spent a day as a cadet, which really kind of helped, you know, talking to as many people who were in it, um, you use the word regimented. That's, <laughs> you know, um, and, and that was my daughter, three sport athlete, but you know, her bag was always packed. She was on time in the mm-hmm. car with her lunch and her uniform and never forgot it. I'm like, I don't know how it happened, but, <laughs> um, one of the other things I, I would, bring up is you know she has the opportunity now where she could go to grad school and the army would pay for it mm-hmm. but again she would have to sign on for four more years or three more years or something like that it's like it's tempting you know it, that they would pay for your graduate education but then you know do i want to stay do i want to leave when my four years is up so it's always that kind of the carrot in the in the horse you know um if it, if you're enjoying it and you want to stay, you could really you know continue to get your education for free and commit to more years along the way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I do think it's valid to talk about how you can get a lot of skills um in the military and you can get credit for some of the things you study. Like there's a language institute, um I think Monterey Language Institute through the military at Reed. We gave credit for almost nothing, but we gave credit for their language classes because they were so strong. Um and a lot of colleges were far more generous than Reed and would give kind of like life experience credits and mm-hmm. for the types of skills that you would have. So there are a lot of benefits, but you do need to make sure don't just do it for the money. Do it because there's something about the life <laughs> right. that genuinely appeals to you. I think that's right. quite important. So, that's
4: true. I would 100% agree.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't sound like she has any regrets. The only question is whether she's going to stick with it or not. Correct. Okay. Right. Yes. All right. Um, all right. Well, I th- any any last comments? Anything else? Or, um, um, I would say, you know, I have talked to military
4: families and, um, you know, I'll be honest that, you know, in the service, you don't make a ton of money. You're not mm-hmm. a, you know, a corporate employee making, you know, big 401ks and things like that. So, um, they often struggle to pay for their kids' education. So definitely look into the scholarships and if mm-hmm. you can pass on your veterans benefits to your child to help them through college. So you don't have to take on that debt.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. All right, Lori, that was very, very helpful. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, Sally. Happy to be here. All right. I think I'm just going to do a quick school spotlight. Um, I wanted to tell all of you about Bryant University Um, It's a small college in Smithfield, Rhode Island, only for students who are serious about studying business, but they still want a liberal arts education. It's really well known for its international business program, located one hour from Boston. Um, All classes taught by full professors, not graduate students, and the school boasts that 99% of recent grads are either employed or enrolled in graduate school within six months of graduation. Um, It's about 3,400 undergraduates And um, they really study business through an interdisciplinary lens. So, um, you know, all students who pursue a major in the College of Business complete a minor through the College of Arts and Sciences. And there are many valuable programs like biotechnology, communication, legal studies, math. um, And the same requirement holds true for liberal arts majors seeking out complementary business minors. Um, Brian is committed to international engagement, and there's a lot of opportunities for students to connect with other cultures. Nearly half of all undergraduates, for example, study abroad and take advantage of the sophomore international experience. So whether you're studying culture and business in China or business design and innovation in Italy, students at Bryant are committed to becoming leaders in a global economy. All right. I always like to highlight the additional colleges. And so for my final, um, outro, I want to remind all of you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24 seven on the voice America website. And you can also download every show for free on iTunes. And if you want to search for a particular show topic, you can go to our blog page at blog.getintocollege.com. That's blog.getintocollege.com. Um, and last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. And actually, um, next week, just you know, Beth Heaton will be talking with her guests about um, how to show demonstrated interest during COVID 19 and regular decision results and what to do if you're a senior who has been waitlisted. All right, thanks so much.